Welcome to the iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. This is where we connect with healthcare providers from various clinical settings to learn more about how they are leading through innovation, protocol development, and integration of evidence to provide excellent clinical care to their patients. Join the conversation with your hosts from Medical Affairs at Baxter Canada. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of I Connect with Baxter Canada podcast. My name is Michelle DeGloria. I am a registered nurse and a medical science liaison supporting medication delivery at Baxter Canada, and I will be your host for this episode. As always, our goal is to bring you interesting and relevant topics that influence your day-to-day practice as a clinician. Today, I am excited to welcome Stephanie Sorensen, She is a clinical learning specialist from KID2 Intensive Care Unit at Kingston Health Sciences Centre, the Kingston General Hospital site. Thank you, Stephanie, for joining me today. I was wondering if you would be able to give me an introduction to your role in the hospital that you work in. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me today. So my name is Stephanie Sorensen. I am the clinical learning specialist for our KID2 Intensive Care Unit. I work at Kingston General Hospital, which is part of the Kingston Health Sciences Centre, so KHSC. Uh, We're located in southeastern Ontario. We're a tertiary care centre for the region. Um, We are uh, southeastern Ontario's largest acute care academic hospital we consist of Hotel Du Hospital Site, Kingston General Hospital Site, which is where I work, and the Cancer Centre of Southeastern Ontario. We have three intensive care units. Um, our Level 2 unit is our Davies 4 ICU that has approximately 21 beds. Um, our Cardiac Science Unit, which is a cardiac surgery intensive care unit. Um, and then our KID 2 ICU, which is where I work, is Level 3. Um, and it is 34-bed unit and one of the largest single ICUs in the country. I'm interested to learn more about what non-invasive fluid monitoring is and how this technology is utilized within your unit. So non-invasive hemodynamic monitoring um, gives us hemodynamic data, such as cardiac output, stroke volume, uh, total peripheral resistance that gives us information in a non-invasive way um, that helps us make clinical decisions and therapeutic decisions for our patients. When you're talking about the therapeutic decisions, can you give me an example of um, what type of decision-making is benefits from this technology? Yeah. So we use it in patients where their fluid status is unclear, um, we mostly use will, um, will giving fluid help or harm a patient. Um, so using dynamic assessments that non-invasive hemodynamic monitors offer, so passive leg raises and fluid bolus challenges, that gives us information about stroke volume and if this patient will benefit from a larger preload or if their preload in their myocardium is kind of stretched as much as it can go. <laughs> It's interesting that you talk about that in the terms of harm or not harm. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing more and more in the literature is this thinking around um, that fluids really aren't necessarily as benign as we likely once believed them to be in that we are not seeing that sort of liberal fluid mentality of just give patients a boatload of fluid and let's not worry about it right now. We'll worry about it in two days from now when we're suddenly panicking and trying to diurese because we're in a very positive fluid balance. 
Have you found that this technology has definitely improved how fluids are managed or administered within your organization? I would say when a non-invasive monitor is used, it has improved. You know, the dangers of having too much fluid is a fluid will be stuck in the intracellular Mm -hmm. spaces, putting you at risk for, you know, cerebral edema, which is never good. Um, Abdominal compartment syndrome is another um, issue that we don't really think of until it's a problem. Um, So having all that extra fluid is not good, and that's really coming out in the literature these days. So what type of patients do you utilize this technology with? And I'm just curious about your process, whether you tend to use more of the uh, dynamic passive leg raise or are you giving more of the fluid challenge, like the small bolus? Yeah. So the patients we tend to use um, a non-invasive hemodynamic monitor would be um, undifferentiated or mixed shock states. So um, the physician group will use the hemodynamic values from the monitor to determine, uh, follow trends, decide if the issue is fluid, is it a pressor or an inotrope responsive condition. So it can help differentiate between a cardiogenic shock, um, hypovolemic shock, or another vasodilatory shock. We tend to do the passive leg raise first, if able. Um, so there are contraindications to doing a passive leg raise, which would include, you know, trauma, um, Maybe they've had an amputation or something like that, um, and they're unable to do a passive leg raise um, as examples. Um, But most of the time, we will do a passive leg raise, which mimics that 250 to 300 mil bolus um, from the legs to the um, core and tells us a change in stroke volume. Um, So if people that the passive leg raise is contraindicated, we will do that fluid bolus challenge. Um, But the passive leg raise, the benefit compared to fluid bolus challenges, you're not giving any extra fluid. And that's the point is we want to assess that stroke volume first. And I think that's one of the things that I've been seeing more and more in the literature is the the benefit of using uh, passive leg raise as a dynamic assessment and the value, just as you mentioned, the fact that we're able to translocate that blood and if it's not if the patient is not fluid responsive we haven't given them any extra fluid so we're not now thinking about that 250 or that 500 mil bolus and the fact that it actually was not beneficial for that patient and then if it wasn't beneficial you've now given them more exactly Uh exactly i'm curious about some of the benefits that you've seen um, introducing this technology into your unit. To share an example, uh, we've had a patient that was having leech therapy um, to perfuse a skin graft, mm. um, and this patient was also hemodynamically unstable, so his blood pressure was becoming low, requiring vasopressors. However, um, a vasopressor would actually harm that right. perfusion the skin graft. Right. So the hemodynamic monitor was used to see if this patient would benefit from fluid and if his blood pressure would improve with increased preload. So we did use the um, non-invasive hemodynamic monitor to assess. And so we actually were able to avoid giving a vasopressor by giving fluid boluses safely um, to increase the person's blood pressure. I think that's really quite cool when you mention it like that, because you've essentially said, you know, it's not just limited to those shock patients. It's really any patient where you're potentially concerned about how you're best managing 
the condition that they're presenting with and how do you best support their therapeutic goals? Absolutely, yeah. Um, how was the technology adopted by the, the staff within the unit? So this is an interesting topic. So one of our respirology physicians is a person who was instrumental in bringing the uh, non-invasive hemodynamic monitor to our institution. Um, she happens to be a respirologist. Um, and traditionally, the respirology intensivists are the ones who are most skeptical about right. hemodynamic monitors because they like those direct measurements yes. from us on GANS cath. Um, so... I actually surveyed our physician group, and it was a mixed response of how they use it, why they use it. But the ultimate um, summary was it's a tool in the toolbox. It does not replace a PA cath, but it is something that helps us decide what we're doing um, and become more confident in the proper therapeutic interventions. And I think that's an important concept. Quite often, I think there's this sort of... I don't know if it's fear or the thought process that if you give me something, then you're likely going to take something else away. And as you gain your confidence and knowledge and familiarity with using a device, there's always that reluctance to lose it. So I like that idea that it's another tool. It may not be appropriate for every patient. It may not be something that we pull out on a daily basis, but when we do we value the assessment data that it's providing to us. Stephanie, I'm wondering um, if you could elaborate on how clinicians have embraced or what the general feeling is around doing a passive leg raise. Often we hear that um, there is concern about the additional workload. They're not sure how they're, they'll manage. So I'm wondering if you could tell, tell us what the perception has been among staff within the unit and if you could give us any tips and how, how you do a passive leg raise to make it a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, so uh, at KHSC, we have a policy and procedure for a non-invasive hemodynamic monitor, which talks you through the process of a passive leg raise. Um, there's also uh, on-screen prompting that really helps the process in the room at the time. Um, we do require a physician order to perform a dynamic assessment, including a passive leg raise. Um, so what we would do if there's no contraindications, um, we put the patient in a semi-recumbent position, the monitor will get baseline hemodynamic values, um, then the monitor will guide us to then start a passive leg raise. So we put the patient supine, um, raise their legs. Um, what we do at our institution is put an overbed table with some pillows on it mm -hmm. and just place the legs up there, so 45-degree angle. Um, press the monitor prompts again, and it will count down for three minutes, um, calculating a change in stroke volume index as that fluid is relocated into um, the core. Um, so it mimics that bolus and then tells us what it has done to stroke volume. Um, if it is a greater than 10% change, then that indicates fluid responsiveness. So it is safe to give this patient a little bit more preload, and that might help them, their cardiac output. Have you done anything within your unit to support documentation? Because I know as a, as a nurse, we often hear if it isn't documented, documented <laughs> it hasn't been done. And yeah. I'm just curious if you've made that process a little bit easier that's my favorite saying. Um, but yes, so we have developed a flow sheet. Um, so we are still on paper documentation at the moment. Um, we have a flow sheet that helps us not only 
uh, document our hemodynamic values every hour, um, as we do in intensive care unit, but also those um, hemodynamic assessments um, of passive leg raise and fluid bolus. So we document that it's been done and then what that change in SCI was. Um, At the bottom of our flow sheet, we have all the kind of normal parameters, normal ranges that helps the nurse in that moment decide kind of what is normal, what is not, what we should be calling a physician about to come see. Excellent. I think that's one of the other big things that I often hear is, uh, what do I do with this data? So I appreciate the fact that you've, you know, have it very clearly labeled as to what's normal and what you should do if you see an abnormal value and when you should be calling the physician. Yeah. Um, another thing that's really helpful, um, the monitor shows us where the patient falls on that Frank Sterling curve. Mm-hmm. So in relation to stroke volume and preload, when they're fluid responsive, when they're not. And so it's a nice visual um, to call. I'm wondering, as we close out this uh, discussion, if you could tell me what your top three recommendations would be for any organization considering integrating the use of a non-invasive monitoring device into their unit. Of course. Uh, My first would be to gain buy-in from the entire team. So if everyone sees the value, um, knowing that it's not an absolute be-all, end-all tool, but it's it's a tool in the toolbox to help us with our clinical decision-making and therapeutic decisions. Um, but gaining gaining that buy-in from the physician team, the nurses, um, everyone who would be involved in using it so that they know the value and its purpose. Um, the second would be to have a clear policy and procedure um, to support the implementation of the use, but also to support the ongoing use of um, the monitor. Um, good resources available to refer to Um, As you said, it's something, you know, you might not use all the time, but you'd pull it out in certain circumstances where it's required, and it's good to have that clear process laid out, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in the off hours when, say, me, the clinical educator, is not available on the unit. Um, And then the third thing, just having really good just-in-time education and support. So a lot of the time when nurses have not used this machine for a while, they'll call me and I'll help them set it up. the biggest thing I find is placement of the sensors can be an issue. Um, so just making sure they're not on bony prominences, mm-hmm. that you're boxing in that heart well. Um, so having good just-in-time education support is important for proper use and implementation until people become really comfortable with it. Stephanie, I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing all of your knowledge and experience with me and our listeners. And I appreciate you for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To listen to more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe to ensure you always receive notification. Please reach out to us by email if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. We look forward to having you back with us next time. Thank you for joining us for the episode of I Connect with Baxter. All of the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Baxter Canada. If there are other areas of interest you would like to see included on future podcasts, please email those to iConnect at Baxter.com.